Hello, my name is Daniel, and this is the Engineering Success Podcast, episode 40. Thank you so much for joining this week. I have a fun interview ahead that I am so excited to share. But before I do that, let's do our shout outs for this week. Shout out to John Ott for supporting the podcast. Thank you, John Ott, for being a top tier supporter of the Engineering Success Podcast. You too can join John Ott and be featured at the beginning of every single episode with your name, your company name, or any safe for work phrase you want me to say on the podcast by joining him and supporting us at Spotify for Podcasters or on our Patreon. The links to both of those are in the show notes or in the description of the video that you're watching. But thank you, John Ott, for your support of the podcast. Um, make sure to write in as well. Write into daniel at engringsuccess.com. That's also the name of my website, engringsuccess.com. Engineering success, but engring success. Just like it would show up in your course catalog. But yeah, thank you so much for uh, listening to this episode. We have a great interview coming up with Tyler Robbins. Tyler has had a really cool career progression. He has multiple degrees in engineering and master's degrees in engineering. That includes master's in engineering, master's in engineering. And he has um, a really cool career progression in the field of, of vibrations. So um, it's, it's a really natural career progression, moving from different roles, but staying in his niche. And I think that you guys will really enjoy his personality and his storytelling and the career progressions and the lessons and insights that he has to share from that. So I'll catch you on the other side of what I hope is an ad break, but I hope you enjoy the interview and I'll catch you on the other side. Bye. All right. Well, hi, Tyler. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Thank How are you, you doing? so much. I'm great, man. It's been a, a lovely day. We uh, we just got back from our first uh, hospital visit. We got to see where our baby is going to be born, which was kind of a oh, surreal congrats. experience. Yeah, we got one and a half months. We're due June 25th. So today's May 4th. So it's it's uh, it's right around the corner. What, would you, what were you up to today? Uh, I was testing solar panels up in uh, northern Texas for vibration. Okay. That is awesome. As a person that is from Northern Texas, I am extremely jealous of you being from the DFW area. When you when you mentioned that you'd be taking this call from DFW, I was so jealous. Though um, I know that you're from the Northeast, so maybe you maybe not as excited about being there and being away from your oh. family as I am that you are there on my behalf. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's the second week in a row that I've been in Texas. I was actually. Uh in southern texas last week also okay. last minute testing where's that so, uh i was in what two hours south of san antonio like okay. really close to the border okay yeah so like uh did you go through like fall furious and stuff like that down uh, towards mcallen is that where you were, were going uh, I, I honestly don't recall. Yeah, I, I got you know i landed in san antonio drove two hours oh my in the middle of the desert there's a little uh little town where like the, the the they had a few hotels and the hilton was like 300 dollars a night i was like there's nothing else here you can pay less if you're willing to go even deeper into the desert 
into a yeah. you know no-tell motel and i was like ah i'm, I'm fine i'm good <laughs> yeah as somebody that spent the last seven years of my life in san antonio also jealous of you that i hope you had at least one breakfast taco taco while you were there i hope i did not it was <laughs> it was long days and um where i was at there wasn't much that wasn't like a mcdonald's so um i usually a lot of these jobs i'll go to like a grocery store and get really? a lot of the local stuff yeah i'll get like um yeah, I like to go to Whole Foods actually and get like all like the local foods and like yeah. like hoard it and you know, use my per diem to, <laughs> to buy yeah. it and like eat out of it and you know, while I'm in the hotel. Yeah, and then for eating local if there's stuff. So yeah, no, I, that, that's that's I, I honestly respect that. So have you have you sampled an H E B yet or is that just too too foreign? Oh yeah. oh no, I've been to a handful. Yeah, yeah, no, totally have been. That's, I actually I got my last week. Uh, every dinner, except for the last dinner, was from HEB. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I yep. had some sushi. It was great. Oh, oh my gosh. I'll have to tell my wife. She is obsessed with their sushi. Now that we're in New Orleans, we have this place called Rouse's. And we also have Whole Foods. But the HEB sushi is one of the things she misses the most. If you haven't tried it yet, you have to also try their house-made guac. It is so good. You get their it house-made did. chips. Yeah, you get their house-made yeah, no, chips. You have their house-made guac. chips and their guac. And like, yeah. the first day I got yeah. there... I was like, man, what am I going to eat? You know, I was driving all day. I'm hot. You know, yeah. sounds good. I'm like, oh, guac. Perfect. Like the cucumbers with like the pepper, you know, the the lime yeah. and the, yeah. the seasoning on it. And, you know, I, I think I got some roasted chicken. You know, yeah. Is, yeah. That's awesome. Well, I know that this is the engineering success podcast, not the yeah. how much does Daniel <laughs> yeah, miss Texas podcast. <laughs> no, I, I, we could go for the full hour on on that. But um, so we're here to talk yeah, engineering. Sure. So uh, what yeah. what we'll have played before we talked about this is I give an intro for you. But just let's start from the beginning. Um, okay. Where did you go to school for engineering and how did you first get interested in engineering as a thing that you could possibly do with your life? Oh, okay. So I went to Miami University in Ohio. Um, I got a uh, double degree uh, in mechanical engineering and decision science, which is business statistics. Um, I got interested in engineering in high school. I took like your know, shop classes and um, whatnot. I'm generally speaking, I, I like to be a problem solver. Yeah. You know, I like I like little puzzles and engineering is just a bunch of little puzzles, you know, or that add up to big puzzles. Um, yeah. So, I mean, in, in high school, I took, you know, AP physics and, you know, calculus, you know, calculus um, from like the local university and whatnot and engineering. So I mean, it made, made a lot of sense. Um, I, at one point thought about being a doctor and I thought that was going to be way too stressful and yeah. I don't like chemistry. It's way too messy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I <laughs> totally physics agree. Any day. <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally agree. Chemistry was like one of those classes that just, I mean, I love, I love my unit ops class. I love my mass materials right. balance class. I, I'm jealous of the people that get to do like unit operations and designing refineries and optimizing that kind of stuff mm -hmm. system wise. But I just couldn't, uh, the, the idea of doing OCHEM was just uh, impossible for me. <laughs> so oh, yeah, I, no, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you were one of those kids that did shop and, and that's kind of how you got that passion for engineering. Oh, yeah. Did it start before high school? Was it like this childhood thing or did it really just kind of come to you when you were in high school? So like, I wasn't, so like, I wasn't one of those guys that like took apart things and put them back together. Um, Me neither. I, 
Um, I only took them apart. I never actually put them back together. <laughs> There's a couple of things I took apart that never got back together. Um, yeah. But um, my dad was kind of like Mr. Fix-It, like around the house. Um, mm-hmm. He used tools. Like when I was very young, I remember I had like a little toolbox with tools in it and actually like worked on stuff. And he made a bunch of our toys when we were younger. Um, so like the idea of like building things probably came from my dad. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I was in Boy Scouts and, you know, also, you know, you build things and you whittle things and all that other stuff. And then by the time high school came around, I was very big about taking a, a lot of electives. And mm-hmm. I took a, one of the, the, you know, I took a CAD elective. You know, I took, um, oh, I, I remember that one where, where you had to build like this, like balsa wood structure. Okay. And it went around a pipe and you uh-huh. had to put weights on top of it. And this and the teacher would roll a bowling ball down a ramp to strike your your structure as you increase the weights. So like the winner was the person who had the most weight standing, even though this thing kept coming and hitting it to see, you know, which one wouldn't break. Yeah. Um, mine didn't, never broke. Uh, <laughs> and that's why I, I you became an engineer. It was, yeah, no, it, it, it kind of, it, it, I, I, I made it so that it wouldn't move when the, yeah. the bowling ball hit it. And they ended up actually having somebody stand on it with all the weight and just kind of jump up and down um before it actually gave way so <laughs> yeah so that, that that's really cool so so whenever you were uh, um you were looking for college and stuff was it really important for you to find a school where you could do a lot of that hands-on stuff or what was the kind of the the decision factor from you going to the university of miami the one in ohio not the one in florida that but the one in miami that ben roethlisberger went to Right. So the one in Miami is actually older than the city of Miami, or at least the official city, because it was established when 1809 and the city of yeah. Miami wasn't established until like 1850. Um, but uh, yeah, no, they have a big uh, axe to grind. You know, so it's in Ohio. Um, <laughs> so 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 my dad was was very passionate about making sure that we d- could drive safely. Um, so and, and I know this sounds a little roundabout, but so he had a rule. We had to drive with him 3000 miles in the car before we could drive by ourselves. And okay. what's the best way to, to rack up those uh, those miles is to do like some road trips to look at colleges. Yeah. So Miami was close enough. Um, I got um, got in an early acceptance. It was ranked 15 um, in the nation for undergraduate. Um, and uh, for, for, you know, undergraduate program. And it was, uh, it had business as well. I really wanted to double major in engineering and business. Um, Miami had a program where you could actually go get an, a mechanical engineering degree and add like a couple more classes and get engineering management and then a couple more classes and get engineering manufacturing. And that had no appeal to me whatsoever because I was like, no, like engineers teaching other engineers how to like read people. That seems like a horrible idea. Like, you know, yeah. so I, I was like, no, I want, I want to take the marketing classes. I want to take the management classes, you know. Um, yeah. they tried to, you know, the, uh, the accounting teacher really didn't like me because uh, the second accounting to finance, she was like, you know, there's these tables that you have to look at to, you know, to do, do, do all these, you know, you know, complex, you know, compounding things. I was like, actually, there's an equation for that. She's like, no, there isn't. I was like, yes, there is. It was in my engineering economics class. Yeah. I bring the book in. And yeah. I did. With all the charts like, and everything. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, like this is the, this is the equation for this thing right here. Because like, you can only use it at the chart or use a computer, you know, 
you know, a calculator to calculate this. I'm like, nope, there's an equation for it. It's like, leave it to an engineer to like pull out the equation. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, why? <laughs> How do you think they got the table? They just magically made it. Um, no, it came from so somewhere. Looked, it came from somewhere. And I, and I really wanted to double major in, in business because I, 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 knew, I knew myself and I knew that if I was just engineering all the time, mm-hmm. I would go crazy. Like I mm-hmm. needed to kind of like take these, you know, even when I was in high school, I took like electives at like creative writing classes and such just to kind of balance myself out. And I thought about um, going to Rose-Hulman in Indiana, which had the top master uh, undergraduate program in the nation, I think, at the time. And this guy, the, the principal was just, I asked, like, hey, like, could I, you know, do a major here or, like, get this here and, like, one of the local universities pair with it to get business because I really want to do this thing. And he said, why would you do that? You should just get a master's. I ended up getting my mm-hmm. master's, but that's besides the point. Yeah. Um, but but he, I was listening in on his, it was a very small school. Like, only 10% were, like, women, and, you know, which is fine. But it's just like a lot of guys, you know, yeah. it's a very small, like, you know, idea. And you're talking to this girl and she's like, are you still dating that guy from Purdue? She's like, yeah, but he's not an engineer. She's like, oh, you're not dating an engineer. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, I'm like, this is too small. I, I don't know. I, I, I can only handle so much engineering. My, my wife is a social worker. Like I have a lot of like squishy yeah. scientists around me. Cause I, I <laughs> you know, there's only yeah. so much that, you know, because like you get in an argument and just it never ends. Like you, you know, like yeah. you, know, you, you go down these rabbit holes. Um, so like I went to Miami. I really liked the campus. Um, the program was really, you know, you suited me. They had just started really building up their um, mechanical engineering and and other um, programs because they were really big in paper engineering. Um, paper and yeah, paper engineering. Um, they, cool. they they paper bills and such that they were re- that, that was a really big big claim to fame and then about the year the year i started or the year right before i started they really started to ramp up offering more classes and more semesters and, and kind of diversifying um what they offered um what degrees they offered that's cool that's actually where i met yeah that's where you met your wife well no no i didn't meet my wife until years later but no um i did uh there's a professor there who's now like a dean um yeah who uh vibration engineering it was the first time it was offered in the spring and i please stop me if i if i if i ramble too much i have adhd i have a you're not rambling i will okay. I, I will pull in the reins whenever i need to don't worry right. perfect yeah <laughs> right. so um i can wax on poetically uh, but anyway so this professor it was the first time that vibrate the vibration class was offered um in the spring it's normally offered in the fall and like it started off with like lower than usual number of class you know students like it's like 15 people signed up for this class and within a week there were six people and within a month Mm -hmm. there were only three people in this class and this is the first time this professor had taught at the school no Um, it was my my favorite class ever it was it was was challenging like he he took us out to dinner with his family because it's only three people in the class so like you know we went out to dinner with his family and indian food he showed us how to order um, like the last week of class, like we all met at a coffee shop, you know, engineers meeting at, at a coffee shop is just, you know, kind of interesting. Um, but no, I, I really liked the class. I really liked the information. And then um, I did research for him for like the next two years. Um, and because I did research for him there, uh, I know we eventually want to talk about grad school. Um, 
that was about the time that the 2008 recession was kicking in. And yeah. I was like, well, I could go to grad school and have somebody else pay for it by doing research for them and make 20% more than I would with a bachelor's, which yeah. has been very accurate. Um, or really? I could start. Nice. Yeah. No, yeah. Consistently. Like, oh, you have a master's degree. We have to pay you more. I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, well, but uh, historically, they say that if you start your career in a recession, then you end up usually end up making 20% less because you start yeah. off at a lower pay rate. So every mm -hmm. raise that you get is based off of that first pay rate. You know? yeah. um, maybe a little less now that um, – there are certain states that say that, you know, companies can't ask you what your current, you know, income is because, you yeah. know, they go, oh, well, you're making this. We only have to offer you X amount in order to be um, more than what you're making. Um, so I was like, oh, well, if they will take me and I, you know, I can have them pay for it, then I'll end up ahead. Yeah. And that's what happened. You know, I, uh, a professor at Purdue was a friend of a professor at Miami that I was friendly with that, you know, I impressed in, in his classes. Um, I did research for him for three years. Um, I was on one project and then that project lost funding and I switched over to another project. Um, and then I, I got a master's in mechanical engineering with a focus in vibration analysis. Nice. Um, and that's what, what I've been you doing do. ever since. I am. Yeah. I'm a noise and vibration engineer. Um, so when we were when I was thinking about this this podcast and I was like oh if if I had one piece of advice what yeah. would it be and I know I know I might be jumping ahead a little bit but this is relevant here um, it's your show man <laughs> yeah all right uh, <laughs> I'm just here to help I, you tell I, your I, story <laughs> I've been out in the sun all day you know testing you know panels you know yeah. driving through Dallas you know so I'm just you know I just had some delicious Thai food so I am I am set um, but. The thing I thought was, if you want to be an engineer with a, you know, with the title of engineer, you want to do like engineering work rather than compared to, you know, business or project management, I highly recommend specializing. Mm -hmm. So because I got a master's in mechanical engineering with a focus in vibration analysis, that gave me a tool belt that said, hey, I can apply that same information and technique to cars. So I worked mm -hmm. for Nissan for four or five years doing noise vibration analysis on cars. Um, and there was stuff that I knew that my fellow engineers at, at Nissan didn't know because I had a different tool belt. They were, they were trained internally. So like, Oh, this is vibration related to cars. You know, this is, you know, this is powertrain. This is da da da. And it's all very relevant, but because I had the theory behind it, and go, mm -hmm. oh, but we could run this test, or we could look at it this way and kind of flip it on its head a little bit. Yeah. After so Nissan, I worked at. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, so you'd say that um, that if you really want to do R and D, and you really want to do design, you specialize, and the way you specialize is by getting a master's. Yeah, yeah. So, so it doesn't have to be with a master's. You know, you could, you know, um, undergrad if you decide to go into, you know, uh, get hired on, right? Mm -hmm. um, there are people that, you know, get mechanical engineering and um, go into mechanism design, right? So they didn't have to necessarily get a master's in mechanism design. 
but they focused their career path on mechanism design. And because you have this specialized focus and you become specialized, it becomes very easy to all to like go, I'm going to, I want this job or not that job. And it also becomes very easy to say, Hey, I am worth being paid for this very special thing because there's not that many people that do what I do, you know, and it can apply it to a wide range of things rather than a very narrow field. Now, there's nothing wrong with not being specialized. If you like project management, yeah. great. I don't. I hate it. <laughs> I, I like. I don't want to be a manager. I, I. It's been. You know. It's like at all. Like you know. I want to be the you know material expert, not the manager. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like that. That is the career that uh, the path that I'd want. But if you want to be a manager, if you want to be a project manager, um, or or anything along those lines, general engineering is great because yeah. you have enough information to like make an informed decision and have, you know, intelligent conversations, but you're not like digging into like, you know, oh, well, let me know what this, you know, this fourth order equation is telling me, or like, you know, hey, you know, that, that really weird software that, you know, you're looking at, you know, can you, you know, I know all the ins and out of that. No, you don't, you don't necessarily need that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and you were talking earlier about how like you're, um, you're not, you haven't listed as engineer. You know, you've done a lot of you know other things. Yeah. I knew a guy in undergrad who was like, I'm getting an engi- mechanical engineer. He was great. Like you, know, I had him in a lot of my classes. We both were like at the top of the classes. It was really funny. Like oftentimes he'd start at the top and I'd start like in the middle, and by the end we kind of flip flop. You know. Um, but uh, he specifically went into engineering, but planned on be going into business. Like he was like, I want the engineering degree because i want to be you know, like it's the thinking the way of thinking about problem yeah. and dissecting them going through them that i want to train my brain and, and to be trained in doing um so yeah so that's my advice like if you if you if you want not necessarily r&d but like if like if you like hey i i have a passion for fluid mechanics yeah then go follow that and and then you'll it'll be very easy later on especially if you're willing to move um to find jobs that fit that because especially when you get into these um, in this world of computers, you know, the things that are um, less electronic, you know, vibrations, fluids, mecha- uh, mechanisms, those things are, are kind of hard to yeah. kind of pull out the things that, that, that just can't be done by the computer itself. And I, I thoroughly love, I, I love test engineering because I, I'm not behind a computer all day. I, you know, when I was at Nissan, I drove the cars on their track. I, the largest test track in North America is in Arizona. And I, <clears throat> part of my day was driving cars and listening for noise and vibration and running tests. You know, um, I worked at Stanley Black & Decker for four to five years. And a big part of my job was using power tools. <laughs> so you know? fun. Yeah, and and you know, I didn't get a free Nissan, but I got a bunch of free tools, you know, prototypes and whatnot that they're like, "Hey, we're gonna just throw this away. Do you want?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." That that's so cool. Yeah, I I love that you that you you spelled that out really well because exactly it's, it's exact. I think it's completely true. I, I I perfectly identify with your friend. Um, I'm the person that that has never ever felt inspired to do engineering design in his life. Um, well, okay, there's like a short period of time where I wanted to design golf clubs, but then Nike went out of business in Fort Worth. And then, then they're like, oh, you have to, li- all the golf club manufacturers are in California. And I was like, I don't want to go there. So, um, 
so I was done uh, with my design aspirations and it's like, okay, let's, let's go the business route. But I think it's, it is a, it is a really good point that if you want to do design, then you kind of, you create that value, right? You, you build that, that niche. And for you, it was mm-hmm. by going the master's route. And so I do want to dig into that though. So, yeah, yeah, so absolutely. you got the master's, you did your research. I, you've answered all, almost all my questions in the school section, but I do have one I'll I'll pull out. So sure. how much of, whenever you did your first role um, coming out, how much of the stuff you were doing was, was stuff that you learned in your master's? And, and how much of that stuff was more things that you, you still had to learn on the job, even though you had the, the master's and the specialty and the research experience? It's <sighs> a good question. And I would say... Also, like, how much engineering do you actually use from schools? Because I would say that, like, maybe 60%, 70% isn't used. Like, you're like, oh, I know these equations. I know this stuff. And, and the, you know, it's not that you're not going to write out those equations. You know, you're, if you're designing, you're running tests. Like, there, there are certain people that do, but especially with computers now, like yeah. you don't need to have like to know everything, but mm-hmm. what you do need to have is a, an understanding of what is affecting what. Like, oh, I, I might not remember that equation, but I remember that there is an equation, and yeah. I remember that you know I can go look that up and go, okay, this is how this affects it. So the first job I had out of my master's, which was a real job because the first job I had was a contract engineering job that lasted like three months. Um, and I took it purely because I needed a job. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to keep looking. Yeah. It was up in Rockford, Illinois, which at that point in time was like the ninth or 10th worst city in the United States, the former oh. true capital of the world. Yes, really? It was, it was, They're not going to sponsor yeah, was, the podcast was, after you say stuff like that about them. <laughs> oh, it was, I would say that, that that was what the ranking was. I thought Rockford was absolutely lovely. Thank um, you. It had a bad rap. Um, <laughs> Um, but no, so the first job, first like real job I had out of it um, was um, Nissan. And the vibration stuff, I applied right out of, right away from, mm-hmm. you know, between research and grad school, like the, maybe not like the, the shell, you know, theory of how to like, you know, calculate the vibration of a shell, but mm-hmm. like the signal processing and the modal analysis and the hands-on stuff immediately made sense um yeah but what i didn't know was cars because even though i worked at nissan for four to five years i was not a car guy like i was surrounded no. by car guys who were like oh like you know look at this thing and you know this engine and you know and I'm like yeah yeah um i could feel the vibration in the steering wheel <laughs> <laughs> um so like i could you know, it, you know, I had to learn, you know, like what tests they did, you know, what they were looking for, um, you know, some of the things that were, you know, particular to Nissan, the, you know, metrics that they had developed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, like with most things, when it comes to vibration, you know, it's very specific to that particular thing. So, like, if you have a V8, you know, um, an eight-cylinder car versus a four-cylinder, you're going to get a different response. Mm-hmm. So, like, knowing what questions to ask, what what am I looking for, 
you know, is it a, you know, <clears throat> does it have gears and it's sh shifting between, or is it a variable transmission? You know, um, so those things were things I had to learn, um, but they were very specific to whatever I was, whatever problem I was working on. So yeah. I could ask those questions and I, I had no problems asking questions. You know, um, and I think it's very important to be able to ask questions and be okay looking like an idiot. <laughs> Not like an yeah. idiot, but just like, you're like, I don't know. You know, I, I'm, I'm generally coming in. I don't know what, I, what this thing is, but I know this other stuff. You know, yeah. so can you help me fill in my knowledge, where my knowledge gap is? Um, yeah. So it got you close. But no, it, it got you close. It, oh, it got me really close. But, that was, but I will say that, like, the most effective class I had, um, besides the research, the research did a lot because – it was hands-on like the stuff that so i went from hands-on research to hands-on real world testing so like it was directly applicable um but digital signal processing which was my least favorite class in grad school was probably the most beneficial class i've i had as in grad school um because yeah, really you, you gotta get your you gotta get your, you gotta get your test input you gotta get te your test outputs and collect them somehow right oh yeah no like it, it, it was it's it's not just that it's like how you're processing and kind of understanding like what the because like that's i i don't know oh well, you might not know this but I most don't. engineering software um is so unbelievably dated oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 it's like built in like 90 windows 97 or something like that windows 97 um most of them are still like you know windows you know you know, uh, pull down, you know, think menus to pull down menus. You have to look for things. Um, sometimes like you're running something in like one software call it one thing and another software call it another thing. So like going, okay, I know what an auto power spectrum is. So if you're going to call an XXX or a GXX, I don't care. I know what it is. And that means like, if I, if I need it, I can, I can look for it. So a lot of times from my perspective, um, like the software is really helpful, but because I had the educational background, I knew what I was looking for. Right. So like if yeah. somebody didn't know what they were looking for, there's like, you know, huge chunks of the software that would just go unused because mm -hmm. they didn't know that there was these things that were capable. So I always make it a big habit of like calling whoever, whatever software we're using, like, Hey, I have a question. And I just get really buddy buddy with wh whoever our software person that we're using is, and you're like, hey, like this is, I have a question about this, and I have a question about that, and they'll send you these, you know, seminars and whatnot. And sometimes that's helpful, but sometimes I just like to bug them until they're like, yeah, yeah. And sometimes they're like, we can't do that. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like it, it's a very specific niche that you're asking about, Tyler. Like there's, like like there's maybe a hundred people in the world that would want to do this at all. Yeah. Oh, we didn't we didn't make a special app for that, but um, we can show you how how we would do it if we did. <laughs> and I've been giggling this entire time because whenever I had my first like engineering internship, I worked on a software that was on a computer that was from 1997, and it was like the like it was the slowest machine ever, and they couldn't replace it because they needed it to run that one software. And I just happened to be the person that had to operate that machine and that software. It was the worst oh. thing ever. But so I, is, I sympathize for the people you're working bad. with. I sympathize with the people <laughs> you're working with. So 
so so generally it, it sounds like your, your masters i mean you needed it obviously and right. it was one of those things where it, it it wasn't everything you obviously had to learn some stuff on the job but your your, your right. education really really prepared you well for your career agree yeah. i think it did and i and just i don't know if you know um but in terms of um engineering masters um you have the class only option where you could take you know just like you're in grad school you know undergrad you take a bunch of classes you just you get credits and then once you hit like a certain number of credits you're done um mm -hmm. and then you have the research route and i went the research route so like i only had cool. to take like eight or nine classes and then i did a bunch of research um and like the classes were helpful but the research was what i think really prepared me um for all the jobs i've had yeah. So, so your situation for picking a master's, I, I'm going off the beaten path really far. Uh, I oh, yeah. think that no, we're sure. going we're going in the direction that questions have not even been written down or contemplated. But um, I know that uh, your situation for picking a master's was was driven by, in many ways, like you said, the economy. So, what about for people now that are that are trying to make that? that decision what, what what would you say that they'd need to know or they wh where their head would need to be at or their aspirations need to be in order to really it for it to be worthwhile for them to take the master's route or are you just like everybody should so i don't think that everybody should i honestly <laughs> i don't know that i should have i did um i, <laughs> I, I graduated from by the time I graduated from undergrad, I had over 220 credits. Um, I did like an average of 18 or 19 credits a semester for five years. Um, so when I went to my master's, I was feeling a little burnt out. Um, I didn't quite realize just that that's how I was feeling. So like, I'm glad that I did. But at the same time, uh, I was kind of hoping that I wouldn't get into my master's program and was going to be like, hey, I'm going to... I'm gonna go learn welding for a little bit. That sounds like a good idea. Like I'll learn how to weld, you know, you know, and just kind of do that for a little bit. So I don't like let my brain kind of, you know, inflate a little bit and kind of, you know, let the, you know, kind of chill out for a little bit. Didn't happen. Um, right now I would say that we're kind of heading in the same place where um, the economy is kind of doing some weird stuff. Yeah. And I would say, I, I say that one, if you're gonna go for your master's in, make sure that you are doing something that you like and yeah. that you specialize. So like getting a general electrical engineering masters or general mechanical engineering, where you take a bunch of different mechanical engineering classes, I don't think it's going to give you a whole bunch of benefit, you know, like going that general route for your masters for undergrad. Absolutely. But for masters focusing on something specific that you're interested in and just kind of digging in, I think it'd be very helpful especially because if you find something that you like odds are you'll find a professor that's doing research related to that and if they're doing research related for that they will pay for you to go and get your masters so yeah. like i took out some i took out some loans very yeah. little loans for my masters um basically just to kind of pay for my living you know pay off my car you know pay for my rent um but my the classes were paid for the university was paid for and nice. i even had like a small stipend so like yeah no, I, I i came out really nice so if you are going for your masters i highly recommend finding something that you that you like 
um, um, and find a professor that's doing research in that field. And they have, they're doing research in that field, they have funding. And they have to pay somebody to do the stuff that they don't have the time to do or they don't really want to do. Yeah. You know, that, that, the, the manual labor stuff. That's great guidelines. I, I think that that's a that lines up exactly with the kind of the general principles that that I kind of think of whenever I talk to people that are considering going that route. And I think that the the funding is the expectation and the norm, not the exception. Right? It, it's generally Absolutely. the expectation. Yeah. So if you're in that situation, listening to this podcast, I mean really funding is important and especially the other thing to consider is that that's that's two more years that you're not earning your full-time engineering salary and getting promotions and getting merit increases you gotta factor that in so you definitely uh, even though he said you make 20 percent more you definitely don't want to uh, pile up the debt while you're doing that exactly and it's oh, delayed absolutely. yeah so so you you talked a little bit about the We'll kind of close out the the college kind of questions here. You talked a little sure. bit about that double major. Um, do you do you, have you used it? Has it done anything for you in your career or the lessons that you learned while doing it? What what has it tangibly done for you? So my foot. Right, so I am decision science. Like I mentioned, I decision. Well, so I, I was gonna say I'm kind of odd in that yeah. if Miami University had a undergrad, it had a minor in creative writing i would have also gotten a minor in creative writing because i took a bunch of uh like poetry classes and short story classes like this is i'm i'm, I'm kind of weird for for an engineer um i think um That's awesome so i would say that the writing that i did helps with writing anything else because you just i'm very careful with my words when i'm writing it down um from the perspective of uh business i think that it has helped um there are two tangible things that kind of come up that I, I, I can point to. One, decision science is basically business statistics. Um, so I took a bunch of statistics classes. I understand a little bit of sampling. There's been multiple, and I took a couple of um, higher level statistics classes when I went and got my master's to kind of continue that idea. And there have been many times where I've been like, oh, you know, I we're, we're taking this data. This is not my standard data. This is survey data, or this is you know, sampling that we're looking at, we need to apply a statistical analysis here. We can use some software that, that does some of it so that I don't have to kind of pull out every textbook I've ever looked at and kind of dig through it. Um, but I know enough to go, hey, this is something that we need to go into. And like once I start reading up, I'm like, okay, yeah. So oftentimes I will be the person <laughs> in the conversation going, okay, that's not really how you use statistics or like, hey, like this is, you know, this is a better way that we can say with some certainty whether or not what we're saying is true statistically it's important speaking. which um, is really important yeah yeah absolutely um and, and, and that's one of the reasons why i went to miami was i really like the idea of this this business statistics class you know major they no longer offer it by the way they actually stopped offering the major after i started it and now it's only a minor which is really unfortunate um mm. the other thing i mean you, you know i had like you know marketing classes and management classes and I think some of that kind of seeped into like my general knowledge of things but I took this I had to take an engineering capstone class um, which lasted two semesters but I also had to take a business capstone class because they were in two different colleges at the university and this <clears throat> I keep referencing this capstone class which is really unfortunate because they're, they're at the time I was just like ah oh, 
this teacher just doesn't know. Yeah, like it just is just this is the easiest thing ever. My engineering capstone class is for is rough, not horrible. It's just really you know a lot of time consuming. In this class, I could just kind of skate by. Um, but it was, it was a lot of case studies, and one of the case studies that keeps coming up over and over again <clears throat> is Wendy's. Um, do you know about Wendy's chili? I don't know about Wendy's chili. I only know about Kevin's chili from the office. So please enlighten me on Wendy's <laughs> chili. I, so, uh, and th- like, yeah. So Wendy's has chili and they okay. have a CEO that this new CEO comes in. He's like, this chili's not making any money. Like it's maybe making like two or three cents profit per cup of chili. Yeah. Okay. It's not a huge profit maker. You know, why do we even have the chili? We're going to cancel the chili. We don't need to sell chili anymore at Wendy's. And shortly after, they see a huge loss because the way that they make Wendy's chilies is that, or at least they were, is that they wanted to make fresh burgers. And the way that they make fresh burgers is they throw them on and wait for you to come in. They don't wait for you to come in and then throw them on. They throw them on, wait for you to come in. And if it's been on there for a certain amount of time, they take the hamburger that's on, been on the grill for a little too long and they throw it into the chili. Wow. So they made profit off of something that they were going to throw away. So now, like even if it's just a couple cents, they're making money off of something they would have lost rather than just losing that money completely. Okay, I see where you're going here. So they bring back, so they bring back the chili. So there's the reason why I bring this up, and this is, is, is something that you know. There's a couple other case studies in this class that were. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is it just keeps coming up. But there's there in business, there are oftentimes the chili that you don't realize realize is there. Um, case in point, Nissan has the Titan, which is a large, <clears throat> their largest truck. And they did a study and said, hey, people don't usually buy the Titan as their first truck. They'll buy it as their, if they already own an F-250, then they'll buy a Titan. But a lot of people come in thinking they want a Titan, and they go, oh, God, that's too big, and they buy a Frontier. So even though they don't sell a bunch of these, they, 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 they make enough money off the ones they do sell, and they, they sell more Frontiers because they're selling the Titan. If they didn't sell the Titan, those people wouldn't come in to look at it, go, that's too big, let me get the smaller version. Okay. Um, the job that I'm currently at, <clears throat> we do a lot of consulting, and you know the test department is very small. You know, there's there's only a handful of engineers. You know, we are the largest reseller of or re- retailer of Ansys um, software, um, and we have a whole simulation team that like trains people and simulates for everybody. You know, simulates for the customer, runs simulations and whatnot. And the test department is kind of like Wendy's Chili in that a lot of times we might get a phone call going, "Hey, can you run this test?" Because we need to run this test, or we can't figure out what's going on. And, you know, and then we go and we run, you know, we, we run some tests. We're like, oh, by the way, we can take this data that we have and we can apply this, you know, simulations. Or it works the other way where simulation says, you know, hey, you know, we might need some extra data. Let's get the test guys in, the testing people feedback into simulation. And we get to get more business because of the testing that we do. So even though from a pure numbers sim- uh, situation, um, the test department probably brings in less money than the other departments. 
the fact that there is a test department yeah. feeds in a lot more than sometimes it's even hard, it's even quantifiable. So this is something that's just kind of from a life perspective, you know, there are times that it's difficult to quantify things, but it's not necessarily means that you can just get rid of it or that it's worth getting rid of. Like, because if you remove it, then you're like, oh, wait, that was actually, that was doing something pretty important. So yes, yeah. the business degree does apply, uh, but more in a larger philosophical perspective, probably. <laughs> No, that makes sense, man. I mean, I work for a large EPC contractor and, and we have our maintenance group and our turnarounds group and our engineering consulting arm. And, and none of those arms have the same kind of margins and opportunities for making money as our EPC arm. But if we didn't have those, we wouldn't have those engineering opportunities that turn into mid cap or small turnaround jobs or turn into large EPC projects. I mean, the, the, the little things that, that are your, sometimes even your loss leaders generate the, the, the winners in the other parts of your organization. And it's nice that you're able to use that argument to feel really good about what you do and also maybe justify it to the people that you work up to. And I'm sure that they're smart enough to figure it out themselves. So yeah, that, oh, yeah. that that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, no, I would say that, like, the test department in most companies, a lot of people don't understand what they do. When I was working at Black & Decker, I basically, all my customers were internal customers, and I had to go around to all the testing, all not the, the, the project teams, and be like, hey, tell me about what problems you're having, because I might uh -huh. be able to fix it, because they didn't quite understood, understand what we do. And it's really hard to quantify, like, hey, if I'm doing my job right, then you don't actually know that I'm doing my job. Because that means that you don't have any problems, <laughs> you know. Yeah. No, you know, your your warranty problems aren't really coming up. Like you, that that loud noise that I heard, you know, on the on the prototype, didn't make it to market, so nobody's complaining about it. So you know, it's yeah, random yeah. thought. So it's it's a good thought. So so we we've we've kind of mentioned a lot of different roles. So if you're mm -hmm. game. I'd kind of like yeah. to walk through your career progression and kind of get some sure. insights and, and lessons learned. So, so you came out of school, you got a contract engineering job just to get a job. And then fast forward, you're at Nissan. And mm -hmm. at Nissan, as you talked about earlier, that's where you really got to kind of apply your master's and all your studies and, mm -hmm. and vibration. What, what was your biggest takeaway from your time working as a noise and vibration test engineer with Nissan? I mean, <clears throat> the, the biggest thing that, the first thing that comes to my mind is that what I learned in my master's can be applied to anything. That was kind yeah. of the takeaway. Like, you know, um, <clears throat> so <laughs> I was an oddball at Nissan because I was the only one with a master's in vibration analysis. Um, but I also had the largest number of programs. So like I had everything from like small cars to large trucks. The, the shortest guy on the team had to, uh, had to scrabble up into large trucks. Yeah. So like what I learned from there was, you know, it's just like, you know, it could be applied to everything and how it's okay. You know, the, there's this concept that I learned from my wife, the term I learned from my wife, which is, um, object permanence are you familiar with this idea 
Yeah, I'm yeah. familiar with the fact that some animals don't have it, or a lot of animals don't have it. So, but I know uh, I have uh, it. Uh, no, 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 object permanence. Um, functional fixedness, sorry. Functional sorry. fixedness. <laughs> Are you familiar with that term? No, I'm not familiar with that one. I know that my dogs don't have object permanence, despite me thinking sometimes that they do, but I don't know what functional, whatever the hootie who, whatever you just said. <laughs> functional fixedness is... Um, that every object has a function, right? Yeah. So if you look at a chair, you sit in the chair, but the chair could be turned into a fort if you were a little kid, right? Or it could turn into a step stool if you wanted to step on it and climb into something. Um, so how, so like you, you have a screwdriver, the screwdriver is used to turn screws, but it can also be used as, you know, to create mechanical uh, advantage, you know, um, so what I learned at Nissan was that like the the tools that I had developed in grad school um, can be used in different ways, and that you know I don't necessarily have to do it in this one prescribed way, um, and that um, I also learned how to talk to other engineers. So like you know working with um, CAE computer aided engineering uh, FEA guys. Um, kind of explaining hey this is the test side you have the simulation side let's you know let's have a conversation um i got really good at communicating with my colleagues in mexico and in japan um oftentimes we'd have like a three-way call where we're all speaking english um so that was that was kind of fun but um i also learned how to navigate the corporate world um I got really good. So like one of the jobs that the guys out in Mexico had were tasked with is that they wanted to remove things. So you had countermeasures like you, Hey, this thing made a noise. We put this thing on it. It no longer makes that noise. And they're like, Hey, that thing costs 10 cents. I'd like to remove it so that we can save 10 cents per car. Yeah. Later on. Uh, so, you know, it was never any safety things, but my recommendation to everybody is if you're going to buy a car, buy it the second year it comes out. Um, first year they're still trying to figure out the bugs and after the second year they try to cost reduce everything that they did to fix <laughs> the bugs from the first year um, <clears throat> so I learned that too but so a lot of times I learned hey like hey if uh, they're asking to remove things and I had to be firm and say hey no you can't remove that or like you can't ask me to remove one thing at a time and it'd be like a, a death by a thousand paper cuts like you know give me a list wow. of things that you want to remove at a time, and I'll tell you whether we can or not. Maybe we'll run a test, maybe not. Um, and I had no problems like copying people and just being really obnoxious when, like, I would, you know, when they were, you know, I, I, there were multiple times where, like, they'd send me something and I just copy and paste what they'd sent in a previous email and said, uh, per your email. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's that's important, that. right? That's, that's, that's 100% oh, yeah. important. Yeah. That's cool. Navigating corporate is 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 uh, interesting, and doing it in three different countries, yeah, with you know people from different countries with their own um, cultural backgrounds is um, a challenge. Um, yeah, no, one hundred percent. As some as somebody who works in that that space where we have JV partners from around the world, it's it's a it's a big deal. So so you 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 navigated your way to Nissan, and then verb, yeah. you then left and you became a systems engineer with Honeywell Aerospace. Yeah. So, okay, noise and vibration test engineer to then 
systems engineer. I'm guessing systems engineer still related to noise and vibration. Yes. Yeah. So what they what they were designing were basically struts to okay. create like damping in six degrees of freedom on like yeah. um, satellite parts and things that okay. were going to be shot into outer space. Nice. So the testing I did, so I designed some stuff. I worked again with, you know, the FEA, CA guys. Um, I ran some tests. Unfortunately, the way that Honeywell had structured themselves at that particular location is that they got paid for the hours worked by the engineers, by the government. So they kind of encouraged people, sometimes demanded that people work more than 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week. And they wanted to pull projects ahead to the point that their clients wouldn't accept them because they're like, this is two months ahead of the schedule. We do not have a, th a place to hold this. So we're not going to take ownership of this. Um, and they ran out of work for me to do. They actually, they sent me over to a different part of Honeywell where I um, used MATLAB and took somebody's job away from them by accident. Their, their whole job was to transfer data from one format to another. And I spent a week writing MATLAB code that would do it in like 10 minutes. Um, I feel kind of bad that they probably came back from vacation. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, they, probably so didn't, they probably didn't use it. To be fair, yeah. once they came back, they probably like, yo, that's fine. I'm going to go back to my, you know, do what I was doing. Um, yeah. But then I, I got laid off because they they they, they literally let, ran out of work for me to do. Um, and I was the last person hired. Um, yeah. So you, you, that was a short stint for you. That was two years. So so yeah. can, do you mind sharing why you, you made the jump to Honeywell in the first place? What, what was the what was the opportunity there for you? So part of it, I mean, it was definitely a pay increase, but the yeah. biggest thing, there are two things. One, I was a contract engineer at Nissan, and yeah. that means that, like, there are certain benefits I didn't get as a full engineer. Um, I was paid less because I was contract. Um, <clears throat> my benefits were less. Um, but also, when you work for product development, you often see how the sausage is made. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you don't like how the sausage is made. Yeah. Um, so it kind of wore down on me because yeah. not that anything was unsafe. It was just more like there are things that I felt were not being done the correct way, the way mm -hmm. that would probably benefit the customers the best. Yeah. Um, it, uh, uh, analogy that was used there that I've seen elsewhere is kind of like you have this cliff. And you want to get as close to the cliff as possible. And that would be like achieving like excellence without going over, you know? Yeah. So like, you know, how close can you get without actually committing to it? You know? And there were times where I'd be like, Hey, we need to do this. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. And then two months later, like, Oh crap, we need to do what you said. But because of where we are now, it's all bandages rather than designing it. Yeah. You know, the right way from the beginning. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very big on doing the work up front so that it's good, you know, from the beginning rather than trying to fix it on the back end. Um, so I just, it, between being a contract engineer and just frustrated about how things were, were done, um, yeah. and I wasn't the only one. Um, yeah. But that, and it, it just happens when you work for, you know, places. Um, I would, I dubbed Honeywell. 
And like honestly, honeymoon was kind of a short term, kind of a short term plan anyway. They're like, oh, this is a nice change of pace. It pays more money. It's yeah. a little bit challenging. Um, but uh, they had their own issues. As a case yeah. I was laid off. Um, yeah. And then yeah. <laughs> So, so then you you were laid off, but then okay, I looked at your LinkedIn. Twenty sixteen, laid off at Honeywell. Twenty sixteen, hired at Stanley Black and Decker. So, what was that process like for you after coming <laughs> off of the layoff? I mean, what was that? How long oh. did it take you to find a new spot? Oh, I I, I would have. Right, so the funny part is, is that yeah. I interviewed with Stanley Black and Decker before I got laid off. Because okay, look at you go. I was bored. I was bored out of my mind, and I was like, "I this is this is horrible. Like I'm not doing what I'm actually supposed to be doing." Like, <clears throat> so I'm like, I started looking around. I applied to Honey to Black and Decker. Honeywell laid me off, and Black and Decker had a hiring freeze. Oh no! So I was just like, "Wait, what?" So like, I was just sat there. I was like, "Okay, you know, you know I was applying for jobs, looking at places locally." I interviewed with this company out in New Jersey and it was still a vibration. What they did is they monitored like large industrial structures, okay. you know, and they had like a <laughs> huge, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for range of area that they like territories, territories that they sent their people out. So like the, the main base was in New Jersey but they were looking for somebody to like look at like Long Island and like Brooklyn area. So like I flew out there, I had an interview. It sounded really interesting. Um, it was a small business. They had some good, some benefits. The pay wasn't as good as I would have liked, especially since it was in New Jersey and New York. Like it was below average. I always recommend looking at the, at the medium average cost of living wherever you're going and like what the average pay for whatever job you're looking to get. And I was like, oh, I need a job. This job sounds interesting, but also like a pain in the butt. I'm going to call Black and Decker. So I was like, because I've been kind of, <clears throat> I'm like, hey, we had this interview. It sounded like you were interested. Yeah. You know, I recently interviewed with a company in New Jersey. I was thinking about accepting it. And I, I wanted to give you the option, the opportunity <clears throat> to make me an offer. And they did. Nice. Um, so, you, so you really kind of manifested that basically as I'm oh, trying to fix my microphone. Oh, I, oh, I totally leveraged the, the other job. I, Cause like, I was like, Hey, this is, this is the pain. It's like the pay was lower, but they had the benefits that kind of like, so I was like, Hey, this is the pain benefits package. Can you, can you do better than this? And they did. <laughs> nice. I was like, All right, nice. Excellent. You know, so I, I moved to black and moved to Maryland. You know, they paid for me to relocate or at least a chunk of that to, to relocate, which is nice. nice. Um, and at that time, I'd, I'd met my um, my wife, though she wasn't my wife yet. Um, she moved out to Maryland with me um, and I wow. worked at Black & Decker for four and a half years or so. And they're senior noise and vibration engineer. So you were doing the same thing, testing vibration. Same thing. I, I was the vibration person. So nice. like, it, was their, it was their test and development portion. We had a guy that did materials testing. We had a technician that did, did standard testing. And my job was to fix the random problems that came up. So like, hey, we have this part that keeps flying off and we don't know why. We've been looking at it for two to three months. 
like, oh, well, I can run some tests and tell you about that and add a solution in like a week or two. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so I should feel very confident operating a Stanley or a Black & Decker power tool because absolutely. you were involved. Yes. I mean, yes. I mean, not just because I was involved. There's some very smart engineers. Um, yes. DeWalt, Stanley, Black & Decker, Craftsman, they're all the same. Um, yeah. The Craftsman is basically DeWalt that's like three or four years old. Um, yeah. It's just kind of how it progresses. Um, yeah. 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 No, they would, they, they would never <laughs> listen and they'd never consider sponsoring the podcast anyway. So, so here's a, here's a, here's a personal question here. So at my university, um, we partnered with Goodwill Industries of San Antonio regularly and they had this maintenance division that would come to us with their problems and we, you know, help them do an inventory system or a system for cutting labels and make and improving that process or lifting and tilting Gaylord boxes to, to inspect them with like miniature cranes. But one of the projects that they kept on coming back to us for was a one hand operated chainsaw. A chainsaw that you could safely operate and dampen the vibrations so that you could safely operate and safely control a chainsaw with one hand. Now, as a noise and vibration engineering expert, what do you think about that ask? Is it is it a reasonable ask for the human body to, to, for you to design an engineering system that can stabilize a chainsaw that it can be operated with one hand? we thought all of us really wanted to st that that project was the project that was regularly just never picked up because none of us wanted the liability or it was just a terrifying concept to all of us and this was like sophomore design so this was sophomore engineering students <laughs> that had this concept pitched to them so what, what do you think so i mean the first thought that i have is that i don't like chainsaws like i don't I hate know if chainsaws you, have you ever used a chainsaw no because i don't like them so, so so they're not very now i i am not an expert in them by any means so please don't like you know anybody come after me for this but in general like you have a chain that's rotating around and it has to be oiled and and the reason why a lot of them have two hands is because it's a safety thing you have to squeeze one thing you know before you can turn it on so you have control over it um yeah. if if you're looking for a one-handed chainsaw so something that is small enough holding one hand that can still cut with what you're looking for i believe that's called a reciprocating saw they have a little blade that goes on yeah so that, and they and and those and those can be designed so that it doesn't have too much vibration you you put a counterbalance in it you know you put different blades in it like they like black and decker was doing a whole bunch of like like how do you design the best blade so that it cuts out the perfect amount so that it you know it, you get the most you know bang for your buck um so a reciprocating saw is way better than a chainsaw, especially if you're trying to do it one-handed. So that yeah. that's my take on it. So don't modify a, a chainsaw to, to use one hand. Don't modify. <laughs> yeah, just use a super king saw that's designed for one hand. Okay, I will. I'm gonna clip that and send that to the head <laughs> of my engineering department. I'll be like, dear Doctor Arminian, love y'all lots. Why was this a project? And um, no, I, I I love my engineering department. I strong advocate for the program and i 
do my best oh, to sure. connect their students with jobs and all that stuff. But that was just so funny. And um, I look back on that. I'm like, and even at the time we were like, come on, this is, this is a, a crazy concept. So, so back to the, dude, we've had yeah. more dovetails than a dove. Um, <laughs> we, a dove, more dovetails than the King Ranch. Um, so you were there for four years, 2016 four, yeah. to 2020, a little over four years. Yeah. What was your progression while you were there for four years? Was it kind of just the same specialist role or did you kind of grow into it? I mean, what was your, what was your experience like being there? Cause you were there for four years and you talk about it very, very highly. So uh, I'm, I'm just curious um, what that experience was like for you. So like, yeah, I mean, it was really funny cause they hired me on as a senior engineer. Um, mm -hmm. But apparently when they did the paperwork for it, um, I might not have actually been hired on as a senior engineer because then I got uh, a promotion like halfway through as to a senior engineer, which is funny yes. because I was making senior engineering money. Uh, <laughs> like, sure. Um, yes, please create another tier um, for me to make even more money. Thank you. Yes, exactly. So like in most things, I feel like it takes about a year or two to really get comfortable with things. You know, like you you find the ins and outs of things, you work on projects, and a lot of times projects repeat or problems repeat. So like after like the first two years, like I had enough background to go like, oh, I remember working on something similar. Let's look at this. Or, you know, hey, like I know how things are going to work. I recommend that you we, we approach this in X way. Mm -hmm. um, so like it was it was fun. I liked working there. I liked working with most of the people there. Um, once again, same issue that I had at Nissan in that there are things that kind of popped up that are just like, uh, I'm not really a fan of how this is. But like it's especially when you have something where you have like a low, medium, high tier like uh, product disbursement. Yeah, you're not going to put yeah. the same amount of money you put in your, your bottom end drill as you put in your top end drill. Yeah, that's just kind of how it works. Um, so yeah, I, it was, it was interesting. It was definitely and like, and getting and working with people and like, you know, working with the project team so that like when she showed them, Hey, like, look, I can fix this problem. One time they come back and say, Hey, I had this other problem. And I love like finding out like why something's breaking or like what the design issue was and, yeah. so, you know, is it a design issue or is it a build issue or did manufacturing do something weird? You know, um, <clears throat> I probably would have stayed longer, um, but the pandemic hit and we worked from home and that was fine. You know, I worked from home and go into the office to run tests and come back home and process data, you know, when I didn't need to be in the office. Yeah. Um, but Black & Decker um, decided that we were going to work, you know, cut our hours by 20%. So we didn't work on Fridays, which was fine, except for the fact that we didn't make that money. And then they had record profits. And then they paid out like millions of dollars to their stockholders. And I just really felt really unhappy about that. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. They, they were talking about trying to like reduce costs over like the next two years by like $10 million. And then 10 million, it was no, it wasn't 10. It was like 50 million. It was a large number. But then they gave out like a fifth of that to their stockholders and like dividends. And it's just like, wait, 
<laughs> Wait a second. Wait, you know, I, I took a 20% pay off. cut for that. Right. For that, yeah, basically. Yeah, well, they, and they let go of their a couple divisions that they were ahead of. Like, oh, we're going to lay them off. They can get you know, money. We'll, we'll hire them back when, when, when we need them because we're ahead of the competitors. And then all those people found jobs elsewhere because why would they wait around? You know? Yeah. So <clears throat> there was that was a frustrating thing. And I also had a slight issue with my manager. Well, not my manager. My manager was great. My previous manager, who became director, um, yeah. shifted a lot of work onto me. Um, that yeah. was his without actually clearly communicating that. Um, yeah. And then and when I didn't do what he wanted to do, he stopped talking to me, which was very weird and toxic. Yeah. Like, not, not like 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 I'd walk into a room and he would suddenly turn his body away from me and not acknowledge that I walked into the room. And yeah. like you would think that maybe I'm, I'm just kind of paranoid that I'm making this up, except for. Uh, previously he had commented how he likes to screw with people by doing this, by not talking to them. Yeah, so like, I'm like, I'm like, ah, cultural, not a cultural fit anymore. Yeah. Yeah, and like it really like is 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 a good portion of it was the manager, and then the rest of it was some of the decisions that they made. So I worked, so I switched over to Simitech, which is you know a smaller company um, that. Um, has me doing jobs all over the place. Yeah. So so you left R&D, which I think that it was one of those things that you kind of observed the same cultural things that you didn't yeah. like. And then you moved over to Simutech, which is which is consulting. So how has that switch into the, the consulting space been for you? So like so it's still kind of R&D. It's just yeah. I'm not in charge of the projects anymore, so I don't I don't see the same projects all the time. Um, but it's it's interesting. Yeah. I a little bit uh, to be fair, a little bit lacking in that insulting questions are usually not as deep as internal questions, right? Yeah. So a lot of like our testing that we provide is for companies that don't have test departments. Right. Mm -hmm. Or they had they need overflow. So the questions that they're asking are maybe not as complicated um, mm -hmm. as questions I would have as an internal customer. Right. You know, hey, I have this one thing that's breaking off, you know, a bunch. How do we fix it? You know, whereas like a customer that comes to us was like, hey, you know, we're noticing that something is failing, you know, but we don't really have a lot of information about it. It happens occasionally. It seems to come happen, yeah, maybe when it's colder outside, but we're not really sure. You know, so yeah. don't have as much information. So they they, they don't have the same um, internal structure to kind of track those problems um, and dig yeah. into them, which is what they ask us. Um, but it is interesting in that I get to work on a bunch of different things. Um, and I this job has sent me into nuclear power plants, gas, you know, coal power plants, um, I've been to the top of inside wind turbines, into the blades of wind turbines and solar nice. sensors, um, working on solar panels. I've done stuff on um, planes where I take in vibration data on jets, um, <clears throat> as well as like beard trimmers and uh, baggage scanners. Like, yeah, you know, so a little cool. bit of everything. Yeah. So and 
and like that is the, the the breadth of work is really interesting. Um, but I do the there is the, the added complication um, of the fact that the job is also at the the whim and scheduling of the the customer. Yeah, so a lot of times things don't happen when they're supposed to happen. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to schedule this the first week in March. And then it ends up being randomly the second week in May, you know, and you don't yeah. find out until the first week in May that that's when it's exactly going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it definitely consulting is one of those industries where your, your life kind of can get. Cause that's when they oh, yeah. need you. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's oh, when yeah. they need you. And yeah. Like, and I thought it was cool with that. Um, but uh, I have a 16, 18, 18 month at home, uh, my yeah. first kiddo, and uh, I don't like being away randomly. Um, so I actually gave my like two weeks notice last Friday. So I have waited. Oh my gosh. Left. Yeah. Um, I got another job. Um, yeah. Locally in Rochester um, at an aerospace company doing the same thing noise and vibration testing. I'm actually not entirely sure what the job is entailing. Not because I don't know, uh, how do I put this? So like, I don't do any analysis afterwards because they have somebody to do that. They mm -hmm. have somebody to do simulation and like to put the sensors on because this is going to outer space and it's going to clean room. Like, like that's done offsite. So I'm like, so like, you're telling me I'm only doing like 30% of the job, like, and reading a lot of test procedures. That, 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 that's what it sounds like to me. I'm like, oh, that's easy. <laughs> yeah that's cool well, man i did not even know that i mean i guess when yeah, we booked this yeah. interview you didn't even you hadn't even put in your notice yet yeah. so, wow that yeah. that is that is I, I could tell you were going somewhere with that and i'm just completely complete this is a engineering success podcast first uh <laughs> broadcasting your resignation for the first time to the world on my podcast Breaking, it's basically like LeBron James is the decision, but it's on the Engineering <laughs> Success podcast. Sure, <laughs> that is yeah. that is something, and I totally get it, man. I, I I totally get it. I I've lived in San Antonio happily for the last seven years, and now I'm in New Orleans. Right. <laughs> so I I I I totally get it, man. Yeah. And and even this is easier because I'm at least I'm here, and as somebody who right. we're expecting our first kid, um, and less than two months i i totally understand not wanting to be away i i totally get that so that's 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 really cool man how'd you uh I, I, that was the decision point i'm i'm caught off guard to be honest so uh but I, it sounds right. like you're excited for it <laughs> no you're good it sounds well, like you're excited for it so i'm not entirely sure how excited i am for it i'm so i moved up to rochester for this job that i currently have with every intention of staying at this job for years mm -hmm. to come and there were there was a cultural shift from working remotely because I was working remotely for like the first two years at this job. Um, and which worked out really well because my wife is pregnant and then we had our first kid and she, there were complications. Um, so I was able to be home to assist while also working. Um, and like also like be a parent all around, you know, so like, you know, even when I was, even though I left for work to travel, like I was still like when I was working from home, like I could have lunch with my kiddo. I could, you know, yeah. go upstairs and like, you know, watch her for, you know, 15 minutes while my wife did stuff during the middle of the day. Um, but when I moved up here up to Rochester, 
<clears throat> the expectations were not clearly conveyed to me. Um, yeah. And it's just been kind of a struggle. And um, the new job I'm excited for. I, 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 I have every confidence that I can do the job. I'm really happy about it. Um, but to be fair, I'm happier that um, I negotiated. Well, the, the recruiter was amazing. Um, I have a, a decent pay bump with a sign-on bonus that I wasn't even expecting. Um, but I also negotiated that I'm, even though I gave my two weeks notice last Friday, which means that next Friday is my last day at my current job, I don't start at my new job until July 10th. So I That's going to be great. Yeah. I have not taken, like, I've not had time off in between jobs, really. I keep saying I'm going to do it. And then every job is like, we need you to stay longer. And the other job's like, we need you right away. So it's like, yeah. well, boom. Like, I just kept going and going and going. And even when I'm <clears throat> my current job, because of the nature of consulting, like, I don't know the last time I had a time off where I was not, like, also randomly pulled into a phone call or, like, yep, yep. You know, um, even when I was moving up to Rochester, I was trying to write a report on something. So, like, I'm – I supposed to be time off like you know driving up to rochester from baltimore my all my stuff is in a pack rat coming up i have a u-haul two dogs a baby and my wife in the car drive up sign the papers for the house that we just bought <clears throat> moving you know driving to the house and i'm like the next day trying to work on this report you know and just yeah. trying to juggle things so like i am looking forward to having some time off you know settle into my house a little bit more you know yeah. get into a routine that's exciting the, and, uh, the and... new job the new job also has like a weird like 80 80 hours and nine day schedule so every other friday i should yeah. have off which means that every other friday is a three-day weekend yeah and i am i'm happy about that too yeah i think we call those 980s is what we call them yeah uh, nine, yeah 980s yeah yeah, our our engineering partner and our current project, they all work 980s, which is cool. But uh, at the field, we work 510s. So uh, every other Friday, we don't have any input from our engineering partner. So it's a little bit. Okay, now we know no, what actually happens is they still work. Uh, so uh, sucks for them that they don't get their benefit. But we really appreciate them. Uh, uh, but 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 yeah, man, that, that that's cool. That's exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for you. So so you had a you've had a really i'd say normal career progression you've been at you've had one two three four four or five companies you've changed jobs every three two to four years five years yeah i mean that that's a pretty normal career progression so uh as a person that's currently a lifer um what would you say to somebody that that has not taken the leap yet and leaving their current employer, what would you do to give them that? What would you say to them to kind of give them that confidence that, yeah, they, they can, they can land a new job. They, they can, they can, they can move on to the next thing. So, Oh, so I, most of the time I had a job lined up, you know, yeah. so I left Nissan for Honeywell, you know, Black and Decker for Simitech, Simitech for the next job. Um, yeah. But so my wife makes laughs at me because I like to do analogies and a lot of the analogies are like work is like a relationship, you know, like it's dating, yeah. you know, and like sometimes if you're dating somebody or in a relationship with somebody, it's no longer what 
is best for you. You know, and you can stick it out, but you really should need, you really should ask yourself why. You know, um, it made sense years ago when like companies took care of the people and you got benefit for staying with them for 20, 30 years, but like there's no retirement plans now. You have 401k, you can get that anywhere. Your health insurance, you can get that, you know, most most places. So in general, what I but I, and it's every interview I've had, it's like, you treat me right, I'll stick around. You know, usually the usually the thing that kind of pushed me over the edge had more to do with, like, some, like, interpersonal thing that I was just like, you know, I was, this other stuff kind of sucked, but I was kind of sticking out, you know, for whatever reason. And now I'm like, mm, I don't feel like I can do that anymore. But it's just kind of, so what would I recommend? Um, it's just, well, just like dating, there's always somebody else out there. You know, and every relationship that you have leads you to your next relationship. You know, you learn things about yourself. Um, and, and, and this is, this is, this is important. It is really hard to ask somebody who's never dated anybody, what is your ideal partner? Right. It's, it's, it's very difficult. Like you, you, you have some very general ideas. But once you've like once they've been dating and you're like, what do you want? They're like, oh, well, you know, this or that. But if you ask them what they don't want, they go, oh, well, I dated this one person. They did this thing and I don't like that. And I dated this other person and they, you know, there's all these red flags. So I look for that now. Same thing for work. You know, what is your ideal work environment? I would have said Semitech was ideal. You know, I love the idea of the projects and whatnot. But then I the, the travel and whatnot became too much. But with every job you, you you have, you learn what you don't want. It's a lot easier to kind of ship away and say, I don't want this, I don't want that. And what re- is revealed underneath is what you actually would work best for you. And what works best for you is not going to be the same thing that works best for somebody else. You know, so if you're in, an, you know, if you're working for a job and you're like, I don't, I don't like it here. I'm not happy here anymore. It's not bringing me joy. It doesn't spark joy anymore. You know, <clears throat> then go right. Well, what don't you like about that job? You know, and can you find some place that doesn't have those things? You know, exactly. and then try that. And then yeah. if there, if you know, if there are different things that you don't like, you're okay. Well, now now the next job, I'm going to try something else. Like uh, after Nissan, I was like, I'm not going to do uh, commercial stuff because like I can't. You know, I don't want to know what the, how the sausage is made. You know, I. I after back, you know, I was like, and then I worked at Black and Decker. I'm like, okay, this isn't too bad. But then also, like, uh, so I, I need to stay out of commercial. Yeah. Because I, I just know that, you know, like, it, it, for me personally, it just it wears on me. Not that yeah. they're doing anything wrong. I want I want to be very clear to your listeners. They're it's safe. You can definitely buy them. You know, don't come and sue me, Black and Decker. Um, <laughs> it's just more of a, <laughs> it's just more of a, you know. It's a grueling process trying to find that line between maximizing profits and doing the right thing and doing and fighting for the right thing, but also maximizing profits. I totally understand. Right. It is it, it grinds on you if you're one of the people that is part of that process of going back and forth and optimizing both right. goals. And so I that totally was looking get it. At, at working specifically on a specific thing, right? So like noise and vibration, right? Then like from my perspective, like, hey, like, why wouldn't we fix this? You know, and I understand, oh, there's costs and there's other things, but like, I keep seeing the same problem. Why are we not, you know, addressing this specific thing? It'd be so easy. Um, So like, 
you know, aerospace, you know, I worked for Honeywell. I was like, I'm not going to work for aerospace again because Honeywell had some weird things, but it could just be that Honeywell was a bad company, you know? So now I'm working in a different aerospace company and they seem <clears throat> what I learned from Honeywell, you know, like, Hey, like, uh, we want you to work 50 hours a week until somebody asked them whether or not it was legal to work 50 hours, you know, demand that their people work 50 hours a week. Um, like, oh, well, work as much as you need to. But 90, 98% of all your work has to be billable hours. So you take vacation yeah. time, that's not billable hours. So you have to make up your vacation time, which is really... Un- uh, so like when I had the interview with this current company, I was like, hey, this is my experience with, with aerospace. Like, I'm laying it right on the table. Is this your expectation? Like, is this how this works here? They're like, oh, that's weird. No, no, we don't do that. I'm like, oh, good. Yeah. I am glad that you agree that this is also not great. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, going back to the my uh, bringing in my tangent here. Um, yeah. If you're thinking about leaving, I highly recommend seeing what's available. There's so much out there right now. So many people, are, so many companies are hiring. Um, hey, I watch TikToks, and there was one TikTok that was like, if you match up with all of the expectations of whatever job that's out there, you are overqualified. It, yeah. the, most most uh, job requirements are a wish list. They're they're <laughs> there's they're, they they probably want half of what what you want of what what's on there, and like you can learn it. You can definitely learn it if you have the experience and the education. Yeah. That's cool. So, so we know we've, um, we've run through your career. We've run through your education. So I kind of, I just kind of want to, we kind of have told the story of, of how you got here. And it's, I think it's a really cool story and it's a story that surprisingly I haven't really gotten the chance to tell on my podcast. So I'm, I'm really thankful that you've come on and, and, and told your story and, and been very candid and very open about your experience from that experience. Are there any other, you know, if, if you're talking to a kid that's in high school, that's dreaming about becoming an engineer, or you're talking to an early college student that's about to take their second or third prereq and they're, and they're getting started in it. What do you have any advice or anything that you learned along the way that, that you think is super important that they understand or uh, I don't know, just any, it's kind of, I'm putting it up on no, that no, no, dangerous no, no. platform where you can say whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so like a couple of thoughts come to mind. The first yeah. is, you know, definitely go with what sparks joy with you, you know, yeah. If for me, chemistry was not my thing. It's too messy. I don't like the fact that like, it's not like gravity. Like, yes, it is, you know, formulaic, but, you know, I, I like my physics. I like my nice controlled, you know. Um, so like if, if you find something that you are interested in, then go for it, you know, um, <clears throat> for sure. I had another thought. It was a, it was a good one. It was excellent. Uh, uh, early career, early we, engineering, early high school, thinking about just any general oh, yes. advice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the best thing I can recommend is you don't have to learn everything at once. Yeah. So if you go to a conference, if you go into a class, or you're having a conversation, <clears throat> don't expect to remember everything. If yeah. you try to remember everything or try to learn everything at once, you won't remember any of it. So if you can pick one, two, three major 
themes, topics, whatever it is, and just pull that out and focus on those things. You know, um, it, it, it's amazing how that will be helpful. You know, <clears throat> you know, maybe it won't be as exact as like, you know, Hey, like, you know, did you memorize this, this formula? But when you have a conversation and you're trying to develop a project, um, that, you know, you have a prototype or something along those lines, and you're having all this information thrown at you, the ability to sit down and say, okay, hold on. From what I'm hearing, these are the three things that I, are most important. Let's talk about yeah. those three things and address those three things. And now, once those three things are, we can come back and say, all right, what are the next three things that we need to, to attack? Um, mm -hmm. Because there have been so many, so many meetings that I've been in, in so many meetings where so much is going on that nothing is happening. But yeah. Stall because everybody is just there's too much information. There's choice paralysis. We're trying to change too many things at once. You know. Well, what if we? You know, we're going to make this next iteration. So let's add everything we can, yeah. and not be aware of how all that adding will affect it. So taking, being able to say, hey, no, let's focus on these three things, you know, or these two things and address those things and then move on. Um, and like I said, for, for the most part, like engineering classes teach you how to think and they put, you know, the world into a framework, you know, and sometimes you know, you need to know those formulas, but sometimes you just need to know the concepts. So focusing on those big overarching concepts yeah. and then applying those thoughts to the problems at hand um, will be extremely helpful. Yeah, I think that that's I think it's applicable to school. I think it's, that's the way you should study is studying for looking for the the big concepts. And so what do I need to know here to be able to solve problems? And I think it's completely applicable in the business world. And and that's I think that that's the the essence of of really being an engineer really is 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 being able to look at a situation, identify what the problems are, the, the major critical things are that need to be solved, and then being able to guide the team through the process of, of solving that problem. And I think that engineering school, when you have to study for exams that are not the same as the homework, which at first, yeah. you're like, oh, why? Why would the exam problems be different from the homework? Well, because you have to understand things. Um, you have to understand things. But from that to being in a business uh, business setting when you have a, a team of engineers that are scrambling and they're like, oh, well, this is going wrong. This is going wrong. This is going wrong. Okay, break it down. What's the, what's the fundamental issue? I think that that is sage advice, and I think it's it's so applicable from high school to college and all the way through. And I, I I'm I really appreciate the way you broke it down that way. Oh, my pleasure. And, and and seriously, um, thank you so much for hopping on and, and giving up an hour and uh, yeah, an hour and a half now. Oh my gosh, we've been on for a while. An hour and a half of your your evening and uh, and and hopping onto the podcast. It's it's been an absolute pleasure on my end, and I I'm yeah. really grateful that you've done it. I just uh, I'll give you one last uh, one last platform. Anything else you have to say, or anything else you want to share? <laughs> Uh, um, I know I'm, I'm going way open-ended here, but you just have so oh, many good are, thoughts. Like, 
<laughs> you can just say thank so, you and say bye. <laughs> I, I so, so I, I will give you one more one more bit of advice. All right. This is this is this is coming out from like way left field. Um so if you're an engineer and you have in, in the engineering world you you interact with a lot of people. You interact with other engineers, you interact with um business people. Um, being able to communicate with everybody is very important. But I, I do want to say that one um, group of people that is often overlooked or undervalued are technicians. Yeah. And there's a big difference. Like there are things that like I, I have mad respect for technicians because there's stuff that they can do that I, I I cannot do or would not want to do. And I am just impressed that they can. Um and I have worked with engineers that talk down to technicians, who think down, you know, that just snub technicians. And I think that, you know, if you're a good engineer, uh, a, a decent human being, like you would, you would not do that. You, you know, so <clears throat> my, 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 my last bit of sage advice here is, you know, treat everybody, you know, kindly, but definitely treat your technicians well. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if you're working with technicians, they... They have your back and why would you be rude to somebody that you know is bolstering you up yeah that's great advice well thank you tyler i really appreciate your time on the podcast this has been an absolute blast and i, I just really oh, appreciate your time all right well thank you so much for having me on all right Thank you for listening to this episode of the Engineering Success Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I, again, I really enjoyed this interview with Tyler, and I hope you did too. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting the podcast on Anchor or Patreon. Also, you can support the podcast. The best way you can support it is by commenting below if you're watching on YouTube or sharing the podcast with other people that you think would benefit from it. Uh, our target audience is high schoolers early college students, college students, and early career engineers that are looking to get a start in the career and the wonderful world and opportunities in engineering. And I hope that you found this podcast helpful. Thank you so much, and I will catch you in the next one.